Uh, welcome back in team, just gone two o'clock. We are heading to London town now. Super Sports' Maddie Pierce joins us. Uh, Maddie, you've been in France for two months now. Can you believe it's all over? I can't quite believe it's over, Steph, no. Uh, it's been eight and a half weeks on the road. And prior to that, a quick week in London as well for the game against the All Blacks here. Fortunately, I did get to go home uh, for about five days after that game. But then it was back uh, to to France and down to the south where we spent most of the pool stages down near Toulon. Mm. Um, and what an extraordinary range of weather conditions we've had in this World Cup. You know, the first couple of weeks, I uh, don't think I wore anything other than shorts, uh, other than on game day, um, because I didn't want to let the spectators see my legs. But <laughs> um, but it was hot and it was humid and sort of 28, 30 degrees the whole time. And even when we came up to Paris for the, the first game that we played in Paris against Ireland, you know, it was still nice and warm. And then by the time of the final, you know, lots of rain and sort of 10 degrees around. So, you know, you, you know you've been away a long time when, when you get that kind of range of weather. Uh, yeah, it's been an extraordinary journey uh, for many reasons. Uh, obviously, we're delighted with the result. We were delighted that the final was against the All Blacks. I think it's the one we all wanted. Uh, one thing I think we're certainly aligned on uh, is that, and I got that feeling when when we met at Twickenham, is that you know there was all sorts of talk about this being you know the first ever all Northern Hemisphere final, um, <laughs> and it was it was not to be. And uh, I just think the quality of those two quarterfinals in Paris uh, really set the tone for what was to come. I mean, I, I can't remember ever seeing two games of rugby of that quality back-to-back at, at any tournament, at any World Cup. It was it, That was an extraordinary weekend. It certainly was. And, and uh, there was a lot of talk about the draw for the World Cup, that all the good teams were on one side. But what it gave us was four incredible quarterfinals, wasn't it? It, it did. Uh, there's no doubt. And even the two quarterfinals in Marseille were really good games of rugby. And I, I think... What happened there as well with with the All Blacks getting over Argentina in the semi-finals so clinically and so effortlessly, if I can put it that way, you know, I've no doubt that there was some subliminal thought at the back of South Africa's minds. You know, they they all spoke that week about it's not that difficult for them to get up for a semi-final, especially not against England. But I think there's got to be something in your psyche which just doesn't quite um, allow you to get to the level you you were the previous week. And that we were very flat in that game. Mm. Uh, the conditions were terrible. We were surprised, to be honest, that no changes were made to that 23. Because you can you can understand the selection, you know, the, the, the scale of the effort to put the home nation out in the quarterfinals in such a pressure cooker environment was hugely impressive. And, and your tendency, I guess, as a coaching group is to say, well, they got us here. Let us give them, you know, a further opportunity. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, I haven't actually asked Jacques Nino about the, the question directly, is would it perhaps have been better to freshen things up a bit with, not not massively, but in certain positions, just add a little bit of different energy, a couple of new voices, um, who knows? But to get 
to get over England the way that they did ultimately finding a way with 10 minutes to go uh, spoke volumes and just on on the draw and I, I don't mean to sort of rub this in because I, I don't want to rub anything in at all uh, but I think it is extraordinary what South Africa faced in this World Cup. You know, being the number one side now, but coming into the tournament as ranked number three, so part of the world's top six. And, you know, in in getting to this trophy, they played every other side in the top six. Mm. The, the remark- that's never happened. It's never happened in a World Cup. In the fullness of time, when we look at the results, we'll see South Africa had a one-point victory in the quarterfinal, one-point victory semi, one-point victory in the final. Now, on Friday, uh, I had uh, Stefan Turblanche and Victor Matfield on my show, and I said to them, and I had to pick my words very carefully, but this player-for-player isn't the greatest Springbok team of all time, but it's like the greatest team fortitude I think I've ever seen in a, in a in a rugby team, an international rugby team, to be able to get it done with this squad. There's something special there. There absolutely is, and and Sia Colisi has spoken about it a lot uh, during the course of this World Cup. And some people raise an eyebrow and wonder if he's telling the truth. Or I know that he is telling the truth. Uh, he he talks about openly uh, the team realizing that they, they can't win every game. No team can win every game they play. It's simply impossible. Mm. But he says we're a purpose-driven team, uh, not a trophy-driven team. So the trophies are great and the medals are great, but there is a purpose here. Now, if you just go online, just go and Google you know, World Cup celebrations in South Africa, I cannot believe some of the footage that I've seen from Cape Town, where I live, from all over the country. You know, people going to shopping malls uh, where there are big screens set up, uh, thousands and thousands of people at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night um, just with with each other, celebrating with each other, rejoicing with each other. Uh, the viewership numbers uh, for on, on our channel at Supersport have been uh, setting records every single week, uh, building up to the final. And as you know, you know we're, we're a country with a lot of problems mm. and a lot of challenges. And anything that can provide a glimmer of hope uh, and something to unite around and to be happy about is a bonus. And in 2019, nobody, I don't think even the team, expected uh, to win in Japan. But because they did, there was almost more of an expectation on them this time uh, to be able to get the job done. And, you know, they came into that tournament ranked, I think, sixth in the world and and worked their way through, um, lost that opening game against the All Blacks in in Yokohama and then just built this incredible momentum uh, towards that final against England. And, And they saw when they got back to South Africa the influence that they had had on ordinary people. And they genuinely put smiles on their faces and and inspired the younger generation, made them believe uh, what can be achieved, you know, if you work together and work hard. And that result definitely created an air 
or a greater air of expectation this time. So while the team was certainly calmer and more experienced through this campaign, they definitely wore that mantle and they, they accept that responsibility. They talk about it a lot uh, amongst each other, uh, that, that it's not about them. And Jacques Minaba also talked openly in media sessions around uh, the fact that you can't be entitled uh, in this environment. So the question arose after, you know, Marnie Libok was left out of the 23 for the final, having played such a wonderful role in the Springboks journey this year. And he started his first test uh, in the rugby championship against Australia, uh, but then he started against the All Blacks at Twickenham. You know, he'd started against Scotland and Ireland. And, and Nienaba himself made the point in all the games that Marnie Libok has started for the Springboks this year in a World Cup year, they've only lost one. Mm. And that was against Ireland. So he now gets left out of the 23. And there was a question around, um, you know, how did he feel? How did he take it? And Jacques said, you know, he, he was incredible. But he has to be incredible if he wants to be part of this environment because you you can't be entitled. And then he paused and he said, let me rephrase that. You, everybody's going to get, when you're playing international sport, elite sport, you, at some point you're going to feel a little bit entitled. He said, but don't, don't stay there for too long <laughs> because that's not, that's not going to allow you to contribute to this environment. So he said he accepted it, he got over it, and then his job was to show his teammates the best version of Richie Moana that he could be. Kubis Reinach, the same. Kubis, you know, wonderful role in the quarter in the semi, left out of the 23. And Kubis Reinach and Richie Moana, uh, sorry, Kubis Reinach and Marnie Libok had to go and be Aaron Smith and Richie Moana for four days in training mm. and, you know, show the, their teammates what they expected uh, would come from the All Blacks. And they, they're really good like that. They, they, they do see it as a complete 33-man effort, whether you're in the 23 or not. Uh, your job is to make sure that whoever is in the 23 can be the best version of themselves uh, on that Saturday. So uh, there's, there's, And there's acknowledgement of that. That's the other important thing, Steph. That, that whether you're playing or you're not, the acknowledgement comes in both directions. So another one who's got incredible praise is Marvin Ori with the, the work he was doing on opposition lineups. So it is there's, there's definitely a cultural thing there which allows them to dig deep. Uh, you know, Sia talks about the sacrifices that people have made just for them to be able to be on the stage. So how can we not go to another place in terms of our effort? Uh, we, we, we can't feel sorry for ourselves. We can't give up uh, because it would just not be fair on those who have sacrificed for us to be here. So it, it, it is a special environment and a special culture. Uh, and, and that's where it comes from. There's a sort of, there's a deeper meaning somewhere. There really is, and uh, with greatest respect, it's almost unfair that you have this high power that New Zealanders just can't tap into because I've seen the celebrations in South Africa and in a weird sort of way, 
I actually feel really good that South Africa won the World Cup because I see the the difference it makes to your nation. And as you, as you say, we all know that there's a lot of problems over there and just seeing the unification of a country from a game of rugby is pretty pretty damn special. But Maddie, just hold there. Uh, we've got to take a quick break. We're back with more after this. Welcome back. We've got Maddie Pierce from Super Sport. Now, before the break, you were talking about the magnitude of this win for South Africa. But what's happened for All Black supporters? And as you know, Maddie, we've had a very testing 18 months with series losses to Ireland, um, record losses, you know, Argentina, etc. Uh, South Africa at Twickenham wasn't much fun. Um, but through all of this adversity and we made the final, there was a real unification here. Um, Ian Foster was vindicated with selections. People finally got behind Sam Kane. Then Sam got the red card. And I came into work yesterday, Maddie, and I thought, gosh, I hope people don't, you know, dump on Sam Kane, dump on Ian Foster, yeah. dump on Wayne Barnes. And they didn't, which is good. But the one talking point, I'd really be interested in your take on it. You've been around the top of the game for a long time. It was the intervention of the TMO having too much influence on a game. And it's not its not a blame game. It's, a, it's more an observation that they had too much sway. What, what are your thoughts on the TMO intervention? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because I, I don't think it's just about the final. I think it's a, across the whole World Cup. Yeah. And I think there are two separate stages to it. The one is around... Um, head contact and we all know that World Rugby has a major issue on its hands with a lawsuit which is apparently or has been drafted and a number of players uh, you know, looking for some sort of compensation for um, traumatic head injury so they have to do something and I'm going to, I don't want to make this about South Africa, but, you know, think back a few years when everybody was banging on about how ill-disciplined, how dirty uh, the Springboks were. I mean, it was just a narrative that prevailed almost wherever you went. But they were the most disciplined side at this Rugby World Cup. Mm. And, you know, Peter Stefter Toy made 28 tackles in the final, he's uh, six foot five or six foot six. He didn't come close to making a head on head tackle mm. in 28 tackles against the old foe. And the reality is you, you can change behavior. You, you can. And the big debate is always around intent. But what referees tell me always is that you cannot referee intent. And the simplest example they give me of that is, you don't intend to knock the ball on, do you? Mm. You don't intend to kick it out on the full, but you did. But I can't referee your intent. So similarly with, with head contact, I, I mean, I was absolutely, and by the way, for the record, all of us gutted for Sam Kane. Mm. Sam Kane is one of the game's great, great men. You know, and, and Sam knows that we feel that way about him. You know, when he had that neck injury in South Africa, uh, you know, there were players, there were coaches who went to visit him in hospital and, make, you know, made sure he was doing okay. And nothing but the utmost respect for, for Sam. He's just one of the greats. And I, 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 was, I was just so sad, you know, 
to hear his words at the press conference. Obviously, he was going to be asked about it, and it's even something I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. Yes, that cut deep um, when he said that. Yeah, it cut us all deep, let me assure you. So, but in terms of this World Cup and the way head contact has been adjudicated, it was a red card. You can't argue it. You know, there's no drop in height. Uh, there was considerable force in it. It's a it's a nasty head clash. Uh, you know, the one thing that you could add to that and maybe needs to be made compulsory is, you know, Jesse Creel didn't go for an HIA. Mm. So if it's, if it's such a forceful contact, you know, why is the player affected not sent for an HIA? And had he been sent for an HIA, well, look, I was still relatively early in the game. You know, there's only that one back on the bench. So, but it would have it would have needed a big sort of re, reshuffle in, amongst the back line. And then with Sia Colisi's card, you know, there is definitely mitigation. And I don't want to sound like the, the South African voice saying this. I mean, you know, I think he clearly hits on the ball first. This is sort of shoulder to ball. It rides up. There is a bend at the hips. And it, you know, ultimately does become a glancing blow, but certainly enough mitigation again based on what we've seen adjudicated. And you know, the other thing is, you know, that the the review process doesn't even take place via the TMO, and I think that's also quite a misunderstood thing. Certainly, reading some of the articles in the English newspapers and so on, you know, they were going on about oh, the TMO making this decision and, and but the, the TMO once it's referred the TMO is out of it right. it goes to a, certain, a totally different place the bunker is located off site uh, all angles available um, and a separate panel of people uh, you know adjudicating does, does it go from yellow to red or does it stay at yellow so so that's a that is a separate process Um it, are they involved too much? I mean, I, I don't know where we're going with this, but I'm all for getting the right decisions in games. Mm. Uh, but the the problem is sometimes, even with the intervention of technology and a, and a TMO, you don't get the right decision. I mean, I think, for example, in the build-up to Argentina's try against England, the first try, I mean... I don't know how you can't call that pass forward. Mm. And it was reviewed, it was checked, and they said, no, play on. It's extraordinary. Um, you know, live in the final, uh, I thought the, the pass to Barrett before his try was forward, I, I called it as such. But then we had a look at a replay, and, and the crowd actually responded to that. We responded, uh, thankfully, in a fairly muted and said, wow, that's at least got to be checked. But then it was ruled play on. Um, so sometimes the decisions that come are they're baffling, mm. um, notwithstanding the, the technology available and the personnel. So mm. it's, a, it's a tricky one. You know, it, I think one of the sadnesses of this World Cup, and I've actually been sitting with a friend of mine here in, in London, uh, having arrived here this evening. And, you know, he's a passionate rugby guy. And he said, he said to me, you know, one of the sadnesses 
for him as a spectator of this World Cup and somebody who follows the game closely, it just seems that rugby fans are the worst losing fans, no matter the, no matter their identity. And that's quite a sad thing. It is. But, I, but I've, I've seen it in this World Cup. I've experienced it. I mean, to hear the crowd after the Springboks knocked France out of their home World Cup, uh, to hear the crowd the following week at a semi-final, our players walked out just to warm up and they got booed for what seemed like an eternity when their names were read out and their photographs on the big screen. Yevonetsebeth comes up, 70,000 people booing. Um, it's just terrible. And and I actually, for the first time in my career, I called it out on air. I just said, you know, you don't need this. You don't need this in the game. Anyway, um, but there has been, especially in the close games, as it always seems to be, uh, there's been this calling out of, of refereeing decisions. I mean, I have, honestly, enormous empathy for referees in this game because I think they are exposed cruelly <laughs> in the harshest of environments. I mean, I, I, I for one, have no idea why they show TMO interventions or referrals on the big screens in the stadiums. Just don't do it. Mm. Mm. You know, the TMO can have a look. He can then say to the referee, I, I know rugby wants the referee to make the decision, but that doesn't mean he needs to make the decision looking at a big screen with 70,000 partisan people giving him their opinion. And so... Surely there can be, as there is with VAR in football, you know, a, a monitor set up somewhere. The TMO says, look, I, I, I think there's something you need to have a look at. Then you go have a look at it. But not with the pressure of a, a screaming throng. Mm. So I think there are ways that we can improve this. Um, but the other thing to say, you know, technology has been so well used in other sports, but that tends to be where decisions are a lot more linear. So if it's Hawkeye and cricket or, you know, the Hawkeye and tennis on online decisions, uh, that's what I mean, you know. And, and so obviously a foot in touch is easy, but then we all know about the momentum of a ball uh, when it leaves the hands. And, you know, so it, it's actually not linear. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these decisions that the technology, the technology is being used to make. So, look, it's tricky. Um, and I, I'm just all for the right decisions being made, especially in tight games. And if that means, I saw a lot of comment about, you know, did the TMO incorrectly intervene uh, with the Adi with Savia knock-on? Um, the, the reality is he had called it straight away. Now, you can't say that that is unusual because we've seen that a lot in this World Cup, and I've got no issue with it. I've seen it in a number of games where the, a ball's been dropped in a mall, the referee was on the wrong side of the mall, and his team comes in and he says, that's been lost forward. I've got no issue with that. Mm. Uh, and so I know there was an issue around, did he go back too many phases? Well, he'd actually called it a couple of times. <laughs> and the referee had said, well, no, 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 I was, I was happy um, that it wasn't lost forward, but I mean, it clearly was when, when, when we all look at the replay. So, 
you could say he called it straight away and then waited for the next break in play to to make his point. But yeah, it's you can debate these things for hours. Um, and one thing, talking to a lot of the referees is, you know, they they feel that pressure. They, I mean, look at look at Ben O'Keefe and what he was subjected to. Um, look at what players were subjected to. Corbus Reinach threatened by by Montpellier fans where he plays his club rugby after South Africa knocked out France. They threatened him and his children, you know, saying on social media, don't come back to Montpellier if you, well, you know. Yeah. It's horrendous. Can, so, we, yeah. can we can we finish on a lighter note, Maddie? Uh, I know you've been in please. Fr- let's. I know you, I know you've been in France eight and a half weeks, uh, full of wine and fine food. But did you find a chocolatier that's measured up to Whitaker's peanut slabs? <laughs> did you find anything that stacks up to Whitaker's? Absolutely no chance. And I, you know that, you know that. <laughs> there is nothing. There's nothing like a Whitaker's. Every time I saw a New Zealander coming over, the, my friends from Sky saw a lot of them. Uh, we had Justin Marshall working for us for a period of time, and I was scrounging all of them for a peanut slab, and there was none forthcoming. The good thing is that when I was over for the game in Mount Smart, I went to one of those wholesale uh, retailers just a bit outside Auckland, where they only sell things in bulk, and I took uh, I took two boxes of fifty back with me to South Africa, and by the time I left for the World Cup, only half of the first box was gone, uh, but the second one I hid uh, in case my children got hold of them. So I, I know that when I get home on Wednesday, there is a, a good piece of Whitaker's waiting for me. Magnificent. I love that, Maddie. <laughs> it's always good to chat to you, mate. Um, look, hearty congratulations to the Springboks and, and the nation of South Africa. I can see them celebrating, and it's really cool to know that the World Cup means so much to South Africa, as much as it means to us. And the cool thing is that no one I've spoken to has taken anything away from the tackling machine of Peter Steph de Toy, the yeah. inspirational leader of Sia Khaleesi and the mad scientists and Rassi and Jacques Nienabar, they pick, picked apart this World Cup and, it, and it's been brilliant to watch. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the same applies to us. You know, let, let's, let's not forget that now since Martin Johnson in 2003, only our two countries have won World Cups. And that is one heck of a record. It's why the respect exists. Uh, it's why the rivalry exists. I think games in recent years have been incredible. They've been close. Some of them haven't been that close, but have been very different. Um, we're, we're in an extraordinary era of Springbok All Black Rugby. We love it. Um, nothing but respect for the way they played, the way they hung in and damn nearly won the game with 14 men, uh, you know, for... For, for 50 minutes, the last, or what is it, 60 minutes. Mm. Um, it was an extraordinarily gutsy performance, um, which earned the respect of, of everyone, not only on the field, but beyond it as well. So long may that last, and uh, bring on next year. Matty Pierce, appreciate your time. Thanks, Steph. Always good.